You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating. I'm your host, Rachel Heinemann, licensed mental health counselor. Each week, we explore the deeper meaning of our relationship with food and our body. I interview experts in the field of eating disorders and psychoanalysis to bring you the answers about why you do the things you do and bring you one step closer to a healthier relationship with food and yourself. All right, let's get started. You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating, episode 14 with Linda Watts. Today is a grab your coffee or hot chocolate and snuggle on the couch day because it's time for stories. A bit about Linda. So Linda is a licensed social worker and a case hack, which means that she works with substance abuse and alcoholism, and she's been practicing for over 25 years. Her practice specializes in eating disorders, addiction, substance abuse. She provides individual, couple, and family therapy. As you'll see from our conversation, she utilizes a background in gestalt therapy and IFS, which is internal family systems. So a bit more about what those are later in the show. Linda and I talk about her personal experience and how that has led her to her professional experience and where she is today. Make sure to stay tuned until the end where we talk about what true recovery actually looks like and how to get there. Let's go. Linda, you have a ton of experience and you specialize in eating disorders and addiction and so many other things. So now you're at the point where you're, you're in private practice and you're doing a ton, but you obviously weren't always there. Can you start way in the beginning of your journey, just kind of talking about your struggle with eating disorder, addiction. How did your recovery start off? Well, I am in recovery from addiction and eating disorder. And I started my recovery in 1981. And through that journey, I stopped drinking and using drugs. And underneath that, my eating disorder, because that was my first addiction, okay, or my first problem. I don't know an addiction, but <laughs> it kind of reared its head. And mm-hmm. I struggled a lot with it in the beginning for a long time in my recovery. There wasn't a lot of treatment around at all. And there was one place called River Center. And a friend of mine who was in what he, OA was working there. So I went over there and I went into their program and the intuitive eating was very different than what it is now. Okay. Janine Roth also, I don't know if anybody knows who she is, but she was like the first intuitive, I think the first intuitive eating person. And she wrote a book about eating disorder, breaking through, I forget, compulsive eating. Okay. Anyway, so I went into, you know, I went into recovery from my eating disorder. I started in OA and I I was an anorexic and I went to AB, well, it was anorexic bulimic meetings, but there were OA meetings. There weren't any different kind of meetings and I was on my way. And so I, about, I guess, three years into my recovery, I decided that I wanted to be an alcoholism counselor. And I didn't have much college at the time, okay? I um, decided that I would go to Marymount Manhattan College and get my case sack. And that was my first, you know, certificate. And 
There was a woman in my class who asked me if I wanted to do volunteer work. She worked at a, a place called Stuyvesant Square. It was Bethel Israel Hospital, an inpatient program. I said, of course. And we went over there and they had, they had these groups called growth groups. Okay. And they trained recovering people to people that, who were coming out of family members and you know, addicts that were coming out of rehab would go into this two-year group. So that was the beginning. And I kept saying, if you have a job open, I'm interested. <laughs> and they, they finally hired me. And I remember saying, I'm getting paid for this, the first paycheck, because I loved what I do, what I did. Mm -hmm. And in the rehab, we had a lot of people uh, who had eating disorders and nobody really had an eating. I mean, nobody had any experience with eating disorders. So the supervisor said, asked me, she knew that I was in recovery and asked me if I wanted to help. And I, if they had an eating disorder case, they would give it to me. I also began to train at River Center. I started learning how to do groups and uh, they were giving me individual people to see. And I was on my way, you know, I was addiction and eating disorder and my recovery. You know, I, I have to say that in this process, I wasn't drinking or using drugs, but my recovery, I, I worked on my recovery, okay, throughout. So I don't know what else that you want to ask me about that, but I have a ton of questions. We'll see if I can get to some of them. I guess what's standing out to me right now is what you just mentioned that you were in the recovery process while working with people who were struggling. And I mean, it's always so tricky. It probably wasn't a topic back then, but I'm curious about your specific experience you're still kind of working through some of this yourself and yet you're treating other people. What was that like for you? At first, honestly, I felt guilty. <laughs> I'm not supposed to do this. I'm not supposed to do this. But in the process, I realized I've met many other therapists that were doing it. Okay. That also were struggling. And I realized that my struggle and that's kind of my theme anyway. If I work on me, actually, I get tears when I think about this. When I work on me, that's how I can help other people. When I learn about me, mm -hmm. I bring into my practice. And I tell my clients, if I don't know, if I haven't experienced it and I don't know, I will say I don't know. But that was kind of how it what it got to. So. Yeah. But I think what you're highlighting here is even something for clinicians these days to take away from this is that it almost, not that it doesn't matter at what level you might be struggling. Everybody is struggling with something, but if you have your own therapist or your own group or your own support system that you can check yourself and make sure that you're doing okay, you're looking inward, you're making your own progress, then you like, that's the ultimate that you can do for the people you are helping. Yes. And, you know, I was in supervision. I was in therapy. Yeah, I agree with that. I, um, I think it's important, you know, I, I self-disclose actually also, I think it's really important. And I get from what I get from my, you know, the addiction and eating disorder. I don't go into my story, but I, when I, when I say I'm in recovery from it, from an eating disorder or from addiction, the clients go, I'm so happy that you understand me, you know? A sigh of relief almost. Yeah, that, that's been my experience with it. And mm -hmm. um, it's a connection. 
You Absolutely. Know? In my opinion, that's what therapy, the most important thing is mm-hmm. the okay? Definitely. You're not, you can't go anywhere. Exactly. I'm curious about something that you had mentioned before about the 12 step. So right now there are so many different treatment options and we know there's so much more for the treatment of eating disorders. What was your experience in 12 step in terms of the way that they approached eating disorder recovery and how does it differ from say treatment now, if at all? Well, you know, that right now there's a controversy and, uh, you know, yes, that's kind of why I'm asking, Linda. Is it an addiction or is it right. not? Mm-hmm. I believe there's an addictive component to it. Mm-hmm. And I, I it, there definitely is. As far as the 12 steps, that's kind of tricky. I went, uh, my own experience was that I went to anorexic bulimic meetings. That was helpful for me. Mm-hmm. But went to regular meetings. It wasn't anything about intuitive eating. It was giving people a food plan and weighing and measuring and all things that I'm totally against that, that perpetuate the eating disorder. Right. Uh, for addiction, it might be a little bit different, but even in addiction, I think that the 12 steps, if they were written today, they might be written differently, but there's a lot of very uh, critic, critical stuff and re-traumatizing. That's what I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And I notice that at meetings, and I don't think that's helpful at all. If mm-hmm. my clients are in, in OA, I tell them I don't, that I'm really not a component, you know, I don't really like it, but if it's helping them, you know, okay. But, you know, I believe in intuitive eating and I use, you know, when I use Gestalt and internal family systems and it's very different. Yeah. Than- so Actually, let's talk I'm, about that. Yeah. I'm starting a um, group tonight, tonight, 12 steps and IFS. So, and it's other therapists that are in the group. So I just want, I can tell you more. <laughs> when I, yes, you know, please. Can you? Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. So I haven't started it yet though. Yeah, absolutely. You had mentioned the Gestalt and IFS, and I want to unpack that a lot more. I know that first you came across Gestalt and you did a lot more of that. For people who have no idea what that is, they've never heard of it. What's been your experience of it? How, how have you stumbled across it and, and utilized it in your own journey? Well, this is a funny thing. Okay, because when I first got when I first came into recovery, I went to a Gestalt therapist who wasn't really trying. Now I look back and she wasn't. <laughs> And I got mad at her because she told me to get up and, you know, punch whoever I, you know, and I said, I'm leaving. So a couple of many years went by and I um, started to, I was working at Beth Israel, actually. And one of my colleagues was going to an Gestalt Institute and I, it was different, you know, and now I was, you know, a little bit more in recovery. So I got interested in it and I went to the Gestalt Center for Psychotherapy and Training. It was a three-year program. And I also was seeing a Gestalt therapist. It's a holistic, that's the way that I can say, it's holistic type of therapy. Also very relaxed. What I was talking about, about clients being the expert on themselves, that's where I learned it. Okay. And it's about going inside. It's very somatic, somatic experiencing. You know, we do a lot of that. Where are you feeling that in your body? 
you know, and that's the barometer of does this feel okay? Does this not feel okay? And also present, it's staying in the moment. Okay, we look back, but we don't stare. However, if there are some issues, the chair work is beautiful. You put your the, per, the parents in the chair, you put the, even if they're not there, you visualize it, mm-hmm. you can put a group of people in the chair <laughs> and talk to them and be them. You know, you go back and forth and be them. And I found it just very gentle and loving and kind. You know, I actually, I, I no longer am in therapy with this Gestalt therapist. You know, I want to add something to Gestalt, which I didn't add before I move on to IFS. Yeah, please. I believe that you can just go so far with therapy and then everything else is more of a spiritual recovery. And I really, really, and I'm not talking about religion, okay? I'm talking about a higher self. And Gestalt was based on a lot of Buddhist principles, okay? And IFS also takes in a lot of that. We do a lot of meditation, a lot of that kind of stuff. But anyway, we're born with parts and they're sub-personalities. They each have their own personality. And we're also born with a self, which is an inner wisdom, a Buddha mind, you know, whatever you want to call it, that intuitiveness. And when where children and a child gets traumatized, wounded, the parts are born with us. They're all born with a purpose. But when they see that, they all of a sudden become very protective. So they can become an eating disorder. They can become addiction. They can become anger. They can become, God bless you, they can become fear. Okay. And we also believe that one of the parts is called an exile. There's a protector, there's a firefighter, and I'll explain that, and an exile. So a, the protector managers. It's managing the pain of the exile, of what happened, okay, of the trauma. And to protect that, they usually exile a young part of us, okay, because if it comes out, they're afraid it's going to upset the whole system, and they won't be able to handle it. When the managers, I hope I'm being clear. I don't if I'm not. Yeah, let, yeah. Okay. When the managers are not kind of working, we go from one to another to another. The firefighter comes in. And what if it's also a protector, but what the firefighter does is it when the manager can't manage what's happening with the exile, it's you know flooded. The firefighter, which could be an eating disorder, could be anger, could be addiction, comes in and puts out the fire, okay, and pushes the exile back. And many of us, you know, grow up with these young parts of us, their parts, you know, they become protective parts, they're, they're firefighters, and this little, little person, right, and we're behaving, even though we might be a certain age, we behave in a way as a child would. We don't know how to handle it. So it's still going on. It's still the exile gets stuck and the parts get stuck in the time and place when the wound started. Mm-hmm. And the healing, and it's such, it, it, it's just the most beautiful, you know, usually what we do in psychotherapy is we... We say, okay, this is what happened. 
Now what do we do? And we kind of push the parts away. We push the feelings away, okay, instead of getting right to them. This is so different. We work with the parts because we can't go to the exile and we get, unless we get the parts permission, okay? Mm-hmm. And we work with their fears. What are they afraid would happen if we went to the wound? And when we have permission from the exile, from the protectors and we're the firefighters, we work with the exile and we literally have them tell the story, what's going on. Talk about the wound. I had someone yesterday talking about a death of a mother, okay? And when she was a teenager and we went through whatever happened that she never really was able to have support about her family, didn't support her and what happened to her. And we did what we call a um, unburdening, which is we, we first witness the exile, okay? We witness what it has to say. And then we bring it into 2021. We ask it if it would like to come into 2021. And all the burdens that this particular person had around the death of her mother, the eggs, we ask the exile to pick water, earth, you know, the elements, water, Mm -hmm. earth, water, earth, fire, and is it wind? Air. Right. Sorry. And we gather up the burdens and we send it into whatever they pick and we replace it. What would you really like? That's the healing. What would you really like? Okay. And they, we replace it with something else. And it sounds, you know, Dick Schwartz sometimes says it sounds woo woo. Okay. He'll say, right. But it does it, a little bit. It does, but it really, really is the most, I, I suggest and anybody that's watching this, if you can go to, and I'm not promoting it, okay, but I'm, I'm asking because I think it's beautiful, go to the IFS website and, and just, he, he talks about it. I'm not mm-hmm. a teacher, so I'm really not allowed to do any of that kind of stuff, but he talks about it and you'll get more of an idea. Yeah, okay. and I can link to it. In the show notes for people so that they can have a direct link to the website. Yeah. And in my experience, I mean, there's been a lot of trauma when I was little and my addiction, my eating disorder and eating disorder is the protectors are not bad. They don't know Mm -hmm. that they're hurting us. Okay. They think they're helping. And we, a lot of times in therapy have a tendency to say addiction is bad eating disorder is bad, but it's not. It, it's how this person survived. So mm-hmm. we have respect for it. And we just ask if, if it didn't do what it did, okay, what would it be afraid of? And they, oh boy, you get a lot of information about the trauma. Mm-hmm. It sounds very compassionate, meaning there's no like shaking your finger at you did this poorly. You're a bad person. It's none of that. It's let's embrace every single part of you, every part of your experience, everything. And let's just be kind. Yeah. And also the key component is being self-led, going to the intuitive part of you. Okay. I made up a saying in the not knowing you will know in your experience, something will emerge and you will know. So what I mean by that is if you have a decision or you're thinking about something, if you stop trying to figure it out and take a moment, you'll get the answer. The inner wisdom knows. We have a place in all of us. We're born with it and we know. 
So, and it is, and, and the, you know, it's interesting that you say that because there's the eight C's that it's, and one of them is compassion. I have to, I don't know, clarity, courage, calm, creativity. Can't, I can't remember all of them right now, but there, and it all is about that when you know you're in self, when you're, when you have no agenda, you just mm-hmm. be you're there and you witness, okay? And being self-led in the parts, we can work with them, okay? The But the self is in charge, not the parts, okay? It's just, I know it might sound, you know, it's because it did to me too. It sounded like, well, are you kidding me? <laughs> Experience it. It's amazing. Anyway, I'm, I'm I think we've had... So I want to just say I'm not a teacher. Yeah, I, this is also your experience of it. You know, we've had these conversations in the past about eating disorder recovery or, or really just healing in general, not even specific to a symptom, but the idea that there are some types of therapy or some people's personal experience in therapy that's very helpful in a symptom reduction sort of way. And we're talking about something that completely transcends that that if you do the symptom reduction thing, then you potentially might be playing a game of whack-a-mole. And so the symptom reduces in this way, and then it comes out in this, and then in that way. And and your whole life, you can potentially be playing that game. And what we're talking about is actually getting to the root of some of these dynamics of what's going on to work toward a true long-lasting recovery. Healing, a healing. And, you know, that when... You know, the controversy between addiction and or we can heal. We're in recovery or we can heal. I believe we can heal. I do mm-hmm. believe that. I, and I changed my mind about that when I started to work with IFS. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I, I, if you would have told me, even in my own experience, I, oh, no, no, no. But I have experienced the healing. I really have. It's beautiful. The symptoms, you get to the root, like you're saying, Raquel, you get to the root, you get to it. Okay. Yeah. You know, and I'm older, I'm in my seventies now and I worked with this eating disorder my whole life. All right. And not very long ago, did, did I, was I be, you know, able to get to the root. Okay. And it was so yeah. relieving. Isn't that ironic? Something that seems so terrifying ends up being relieving once you work through it. Yeah, because it, it, you know, I, I want to say that I, I had my anorexic. I, I, I got introduced to her in Gestalt. I, you know, <laughs> out in Gestalt, and she would sit next to me. And in the beginning, she was sitting next to me, and she was in this contorted position with an anger on her face. And we built a relationship. All right, she's twelve years old, and as I began to ask her questions and. I realized also how she saved my life. This anorexic saved my life. This is the reason why I'm a therapist. This is a re- she really did. And so, you know, now she's my friend and she organizes very well. She's a good organizer. I'm sure she does. <laughs> um, I'm curious about something that you had mentioned before when you were talking about working through the exile piece and, you know, replacing it with whatever you want. What is whatever you want? Like what, what could that possibly be? Joy, Mm. happiness, courage, connected, being connected, you know, 
sometimes in exile could be very, very young and they just want to go play in a playground. Okay. Well, that kind of stuff. It's up to the client, actually. I'm trying to think with this client. Courage was one of them. Connectedness was another. Freedom, peace was another. Mm -hmm. All the things that all the parts are trying to protect us from, but then also don't allow us to have, which are the beautiful things of life. Love. Mm -hmm. I, I want to say that there's a psychiatrist. His name is Frank Anderson, and he's wonderful. He's an IFS psychiatrist, and he just wrote a book, Transcending Trauma. And at the end, he writes, love heals. Okay. It's love heals. Dick says, love heals. That's what you mean. Your kindness heals. Okay? Mm -hmm. It's so interesting. It, it almost sounds like a Disney movie, but for some reason they got it right in an oversimplistic sort of way that it's true. Because maybe, you know, there's a slogan in the 12-step programs. It's keep it simple. And maybe what they thought was simple was not. It was too complicated. Mm -hmm. Simple meant something different. Changing yeah. About yeah. Yeah. I mean, this has been such a fascinating conversation and I love kind of seeing the trajectory of how you've evolved in terms of your understanding of your personal life and your professional life and how to help others. And I hope it's been enlightening for other people. Before I ask you where listeners can find you, do you have any parting words or anything that maybe we forgot to touch on that you'd like to say? Well, I want to thank you, Raquel, for allowing me to do this. It's an honor. And for those of you who are listening, uh, thank you for listening. And I, I just want to say love heals, kindness heals. I and mean, just to keep that in our minds when we're with, with our clients, no matter how difficult they are, because there's a lot of them. I know that are difficult. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes so, it doesn't feel like we're doing much. So that's true. Yeah, that's all. And I also really would love people to check out the, both Gestalt and IFS because mm -hmm. I would be, even if you don't do anything, you know, you don't go to the Institute, I think something about it might help in your practice. Okay. So yeah. that's all that I, or at the very least in your personal life. Yeah. On your personal life. Right. Yeah. So where can listeners find you? Well, my website I'm redoing, but I do have a website. Mm -hmm. It's lovewatts.com. I have an email address ltwcsw at comcast.net. And my phone number is 347-256-6242. And I am only doing virtual right now. I live in New Jersey and I have an office in New York on 40th and <laughs> And I, you know, I can't really get to it now, but I will be back in New York, but I do mostly mm -hmm. virtual now. Okay. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Linda. Thank you too. Thanks so much for listening all the way to the end. If you enjoyed today's episode and you know someone who may as well, please share it. Not only does it help us reach more people, it really makes my day to know that this show is making a difference. All right, talk next time.